Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm so excited about today's episode. I can barely stay in my seat, y'all. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Drew Holcomb. Make sure you grab a copy of his new album, Dragons. Today on the show, you may have seen on my Insta story when we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but Dr. Matthew Sleeth came through the office. His book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us is just fascinating. You guys, this is no question. Dr. Sleeth is one of the smartest people we have had come through this podcast studio. Y'all are going to love this. I just can't wait for you to hear it. So here's my conversation with our new friend and absolute brilliant expert and thinker, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Dr. Sleep, how are you? Thank you for doing this today. I'm great. Okay, tell me where you drove down from. I drove from Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. And there's a road straight to here. Oh, yeah. Because all roads lead to Nashville. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Why are y'all in Lexington? We moved, <laughs> we moved to Kentucky about 12 years ago because my son went to Asbury College. We were sure. living in northern New England, and my son went to Asbury, and then my daughter had to be with her big brother. Yeah. Um, they were both really young. when they, He was 16. She was 15 when she was accepted. Oh, wow. And, and so we wanted to be together as a family. And so we moved to Kentucky uh, thinking we'd be there for three years. Okay. And that was about 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you stuck so around a little bit longer. We stuck around. It was a lovely place. Uh, both of my children met spouses okay. uh, from Lexington, so it worked out great. I'm a huge fan of Asbury, the university and the seminary. I just think really highly of As that. am I. And, and, and fortunately, they're growing and prospering, and that's just wonderful to see. Yeah. You're an MD, Correct. Right. Do you also have a PhD? Do you also have seminary training? Uh, you know, my my PhD is honorary. <laughs> okay. Hey, that, that still counts. You know, they're I harder to one get. Of those. They're harder to get. That's than, right. Than you can't the, buy those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have an honorary uh, doctorate in theology from uh, uh, AME Zion, a uh, hood. Okay. Uh, gave me one. So. Okay. So you have an honorary one. That's from right. From the study. So uh, on a daily basis. But I have never taken a Sunday school class. <laughs> Not one. Not one. The, the only ones I've wandered into, I ended up teaching. Yeah, so. there you go. You never sat through them. Yeah. So are you practicing MD on your day-to-day job or no. are you writing full-time? No, I have uh, written and had a ministry uh, until last November, our ministry, Blessed Earth, uh, had about 20 employees. Okay, wow. And, and we have dialed that back. Uh, my board uh, and I uh, made this decision uh, because it seems like what's most effective over time is my writing mm-hmm. and speaking. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is why you're here today, because I got a copy of Reforesting Faith. And I was so into it that I was like, "Can I don't know how we find him, but can we please find Dr. Sleeth and get him to come down? So thank you for doing that. Well, thanks for finding me. Tell me why you wrote a book all about the trees in the Bible. And let me read the subtitle first. Sorry. What trees teach us about the nature of God and his love for us? How did you even get into this? This goes back to becoming a Christian. I'm okay. going to have to share that yes, with you. Yes, I want you to, because it says you're, it says former atheist on the top of your bio. Yes, unfortunately, I lived most of my life as a, as a heathen or, okay. or whatever. <laughs> Me too. And, and uh, uh, so I'm bilingual. Mm-hmm. I speak Biblish and whatever. That's right. And uh, my family and I are, had be, were very, very recent uh, in, in becoming uh, Christians. And we went to church, and it was a lovely church. Church also had a school, and there weren't any trees around it. And I volunteered to plant trees. I think I added something like it would be biblical. And the pastor I was speaking to said, you know, Matthew, you have the theology of a tree hugger. And he did not intend that as a compliment. (laughs) And I was a brand new Christian. What did I know? Maybe he was right. Right. That that was really maybe maybe we aren't supposed to be interested in trees or mm. the environment. So I uh, went to the Bible and read from one into the other, and that was the beginning of my understanding that God is into trees in a major big way. Yeah. 
And that has been my compass, my North Star, uh, and remains my family's also, is Scripture. It doesn't matter what our, our Christian culture or our secular culture is saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, Scripture that we need to go to. It's unchanging and given to us by an unchanging God. What made you want to plant the trees at the university in the first place? My grandfather and father had uh, planted uh, trees with me. I'd grown up in a little town called Woodfield, Maryland. Don't even look for it on a map. I don't think it's big <laughs> enough to show up. Uh, and when the new elementary school was built, when I was a first grader, we planted trees around it. And uh, Lady Bird Johnson, uh-huh. uh, the first lady, came out and admired our trees and our school. And, you know, if the president's wife says planting trees is a good thing, well, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was, my yeah. grandfather and my father. And so that was the beginning of not only planting, but loving trees. And okay. I've, I've, I've done that, I've planted trees ever since. So when you were reading through the Bible, were you looking for trees? Were you going like, okay, there's got to be trees in here? Yes. Uh, Actually, the first time reading through the Bible, um, uh, doing that, uh, I underlined everything in an orange pencil. Why I didn't use uh, green, that would have been more appropriate. (laughs) But that actually turned into the Green Bible, Harper's Green Bible, where Desmond Tutu did the forward, I did the introduction, Pope did the next essay. Hey, hey, I beat out the Pope. Right, you were his opener. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. So um, it turned into that, but it never went away. I, I felt God saying, you need to do more with this. You need to expand this. And so again, I went to Scripture, read from one end of the Bible to the other. I brought that one with me. I did use a green uh-huh. uh, underliner uh, when I went through. And I was really looking for the patterns. You know, there's a tree on the first page of the Bible. Uh, the first Psalm tells us to be like a tree. There is a tree hidden in the first page of the New Testament in Jesus' genealogy. What? Tam- tamar uh-huh. means palm tree. Really? And then the last page of Scripture in uh, the book of Revelation is a description of heaven in which we are told that our goal is to make it to the tree of life and that the leaves from that tree heal all the nations. So trees are a big thing as far as God's concerned Uh in Scripture. The trees are mentioned more uh, times than any other living thing other than humans and God in oh in in the gosh. Bible. And every major theologic event and every major character in Scripture has a tree associated with them. Really? Yeah. Now you have my brain spinning. Every one of them has a tree associated every with them. Every one of them. Wow. Uh, I'll tell you that the first time I said that to somebody, um, it was a friend, and I'm going to name drop, it was Bob yeah. Russell. Okay. Uh, Bob, big, you know, the Southeast Christian Church yeah. in Louisville. I and, mean, you did already name drop the Pope, so you <clears throat> well, keep going. Yeah, I'm getting bigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Bob. And uh, Bob's mind just whirled like a Rolodex. He said, what about Joseph? And uh, this was early on in the process uh-huh. of doing this book. And I thought, well, oops, somebody's got me. And I went back because I knew the pattern holds up. And, and I turned. And in the blessing of Israel to his 12 sons, he says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. His <gasps> branch goes over the wall. In other words, Joseph's influence as a tree spreads everywhere. Joseph gets the Bible's highest compliment. He is a tree. Mm. So why is that the pattern? I mean, I I think that's so interesting. You said, I knew the pattern, so I just had to go find it. Have you figured out why God did that? Well, you know, God's got to write this Bible, and it's got to hold up over thousands of years, different languages, different technologies, um, that sort of thing. When God calls the tree of life the tree of life, he knows where the oxygen on this planet comes from. Uh-huh. It's going to take thousands of years for humanity to figure that out. We didn't figure it out until 1775. Uh-huh. You and I are uh, in this beautiful uh, studio in Nashville, and uh, and we look out, and there's these green trees around us, but they're, and they're beautiful, but there's no way that you can intuit by looking at them that they're keeping 
you alive. No. And so when God is going to name something a tree of life, you know, it, that, that metaphor has to hold up at every level and over all times. And God knew that this planet ran on trees mm-hmm. long before we figured long it out. Long before we did. Yeah. You know, there's probably uh, a bunch of patterns that I haven't even figured out uh-huh. uh, uh, in this, but it it's interesting that when God chooses to do his most intimate business uh, with us, he stoops down to the very lowest trees. Think of Moses and that burning bush. bush, Uh, Think of Elijah and, uh, you know, the small bushes. Think of Jonah and uh, that plant that grew up over him. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he calls David to battle, he and when he calls Gideon to battle, he tends to use large oak trees. Uh-huh. So I think there are a number of patterns there that I hope other people figured out. Does that, it ring true with women in the Bible as well? You know, and Deborah holds uh, court uh, by a palm. That's probably the first uh, that comes to us, and tomorrow is called right. a, a, a palm. You know, so I, I think there's probably a, a pattern there as well. I didn't want to get, you know, hung up in, uh, you know, a kind of a Da Vinci code of trees. Sure, sure, sure. That's why I was like, what is the pattern? Keep going. If you will. But I think there probably are uh, uh, some patterns there and that sort of thing. One of my, um, uh, you know, kind of favorite things to think about is what what does heaven look like, though? Mm. And um, I, I think that if you ask the the average Christian, you know, what does heaven look like? Maybe they'll come up with some some clouds and some, you know, bright sun from from God and, and maybe the streets paved with gold. But I think the predominant uh, architecture, if you will, of heaven are trees. And I think that's why we see in Revelation 1 is at the God's throne, uh, from which emanates this uh, river of life flows to the tree of life, and that's the centerpiece, if you will, of heaven. It's not the only tree there. I think it's just uh-huh. one of the. So when you picture heaven, giant forest, you just picture. I picture trees. trees. I picture trees. If any of your listeners are familiar with a piece of art, uh, the Ghent altar piece, which was done by the Van Eyck brothers. Um, and there's a fascinating book out about the Ghent altar piece because it's been stolen 13 times <gasps> in its history. Adolf Hitler invaded Belgium to get the Ghent altar piece, basically. The devil always knows who Jesus is first. Mm. The center panel of that is a painting of heaven. And um, I think the Van Eyck's were given a little peek over over yeah. the the wall, and it's it's beautiful buildings, it's people, but there's trees and there's fruit on them, and all the trees are you know uh, in fruit. Do you have a favorite tree? Is there one spiritually that matters the most to you? My favorite individual tree is a tree in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's by the Cathedral of Saint John. I think it's the Baptist, but it could be St. <laughs> John, the, the, the right. Cathedral of St. John. And uh, uh, it is a live oak. For those of uh, your listeners who are not familiar with it, live oak is a species of trees which does not lose its leaf in the wintertime. Okay. So you have to get to the southern parts of the United States uh, for live oaks to show up. And the first branch on that tree is estimated to be 140,000 uh, pounds. Oh, my gracious. One branch. And the tree was in decline. It's probably at least 500 years old. It was in decline. Um, basically, for people loving it to death and stomping down the roots, uh-huh. a scout uh, earned his eagle um, badge by uh, rescuing the tree and relandscaping around it. So that's it. It just something about it hit me, and it's so close to the uh, uh, the lovely cathedral there. But if you're asking my favorite species of trees, yeah. that that's a sugar maple. Just, <laughs> Why? Well, in the book, I, I kind of. I kind of put it, it's as if God sat down with a, a committee of kids and designed a tree. Really? Well, it's uh, uh, sugar maples have these beautiful leaves in the fall. Um, we get uh, maple syrup from them. And I raised my kids in northern New England, mostly on the coast of Maine. And sugaring is just such a great family activity up there. 
Um, the wood from it, it, it makes everything from uh, Telecaster guitars or Stratocasters, also made with the maple wood, uh, to bowling alleys uh -huh. and basketball courts. Uh -huh. uh, and so it's incredibly versatile wood. Um, they're just beautiful to look at. Uh, maple tree on the top. Tell me how you feel about Myrtle. Do you have thoughts on Myrtle? I don't. Tell okay. me what you think about Myrtle. I feel super connected to Myrtle for some reason. Myrtle trees, I've, I think they're beautiful. I think the there's a lot of spiritual significance to me of when God mentions them, Myrtle, in yeah, the, the Bible, mm -hmm. and and why it when it comes up and what it comes up around and holding joy and sorrow kind of at the same time and and so I I just love that one and I was like oh, I wonder if he has Myrtle thoughts. <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to go back and revisit the Myrtle. Uh, by my home, I have a magnificent magnolia tree. Uh -huh. and, uh, to you know, the blossoms that come out just in waves again and again are fantastic. Is the Myrtle your favorite tree, or do you, uh, I think so? Yeah, okay. I like the way it looks. I mean, the, this is terrible. I'm not going to be able to tell you what tree it is, but but I bet you'll know. There is a tree in the fall that the leaves go really bright yellow and the trunk goes black. Or dark brown. Sounds a little like a sumac, but I'm, I'm not, not certain. Yeah. And so I like seeing those. Okay. But I don't have like a favorite species per se besides the one. I mean, spiritually, the only one that has ever been such a connection point for me was myrtle. One of my favorite colors uh, in a tree would... Um, uh, be the red buds that we have uh -huh. here in the south and i never saw those until i moved to the south and uh when they come out with this kind of spring green behind them and that incredible magenta by the way uh it's it's proof that adam named everything because no woman would call a red bud a red bud it's, it's, <laughs> it's a magenta bud right we'd have used more detail yeah. <laughs> um when you watch the trees change every season what do you know about God from watching that? And why do you think he set it up? Because really there's nothing that indicates seasons better to me than what trees do. You know, I think it, the thing I think about in connection with God, besides the fact that God's in the life business and trees make life on earth possible. Uh, can I go down that yeah, trail just for a moment? I'd love <laughs> it. I want you to feel like you can rabbit trail as much as you want because I just want us to... Hear what is in your brain. I'm so interested. <laughs> well, we, we should have my lovely wife of 40 years with me. She's my better three quarters, and she kind of gets <laughs> me back off the rabbit trail. So. Um, but uh, trees, you know, obviously they make oxygen. Uh, they're really responsible for, for water getting inland on continents. Uh, it's felt that in, unless we had trees, no water would get past about two to 300 miles inland in a continent. It's oh, wow. really the, the, um, the water cycle connected with trees and the transpiration and everything off of them that sort of lifts water inland. And so um, they, they really are responsible for water in that sense. Uh, they're responsible for filtering water. In the book, I talk about the water supply of New York City. New York City has... Uh, essentially the cleanest water you could hope for. It's cleaner than anything they can uh -huh. buy out of a bottle. Wow. And New York uh, has uh, taken care to preserve this watershed going up the Hudson. And uh, because of that, they have spectacularly clean water. So you can't have clean water without trees. Um, so that's another thing they do. I just was sent a, an article recently of a large study done with 45,000 uh, people in Australia studying their their mental health and trees around them. Oh, wow. And we actually get sadder if there aren't enough trees around. Really? Well, if you think about it, God placed us in the trees. He, he knew where we were supposed to be. And there have been a number of studies that when the trees are devastated by a tornado or hurricane or something like that, um, there'll be sadness that people will have that's really connected to the trees more than anything, the loss of them. Um, Adam's first job, uh, Genesis 2.15, uh, was to dress and keep the garden, Abat and Shemar. And so I think that, that, that at some level of our soul, we resonate with what God put us on this planet to do, mm -hmm. which was to steward it and care for it. Right. 
inside your book, one of my heroes, Andy Crouch, is quoted as saying, Sleeth is the perfect missionary to American evangelicals for the environmental cause. When you think about what we were put on this planet for, I mean, I don't garden at all because I live in a condo and we don't. So what's that look like for me to do to be a part of that still and to be good to the environment if I don't have a garden? Great question. And I live on a third floor apartment. Uh I I don't own a meter of, (laughs) of land. It doesn't mean we can't plant trees. It doesn't mean that we can't be uh, careful in the way we um, uh, throw paper away or uh, that type of thing. I don't think we are all, you know, meant to uh, be vegetable gardeners. Uh Um, But I think we can be cognizant that as consumers, we can we can drive the system in a more sustainable fashion versus a non-sustainable. And I think that um, Evangelical uh, Christians, in particular, have kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater mm. about the environmental. Uh, our environmental mandate doesn't doesn't come from Congress or whatever; it comes from the Lord. We're supposed mm. to take care of this planet. And Revelation uh, eleven eighteen says, "I will come back and destroy the destroyers of the earth." We're going to be asked to account. Now, that doesn't mean we have to each be uh, vegetable gardeners, but I think we should have an appreciation of the beauty and the utility and and our role as stewards on this planet when it comes to trees. So we're sitting at a table that is made of barnwood. Does that make you happy or sad? Did I do a good thing or a bad thing? That makes me happy. I, okay, because yeah. it's real barnwood. It's it's real barnwood. It's oak that's been planed down. You know that just by looking at it. I do. I was a carpenter for seven okay. years. Okay. So, oh, um, we have so much to talk about. That's amazing. And Jesus was a carpenter. Yeah. I, I don't think that trees are, quote, precious and we can't use them and uh, that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if that's why God let add, had Jesus be a carpenter, so that we wouldn't treat them like we couldn't use them. Here's the provocative uh, uh, statement. Um, you know, Jesus is hard to kill. And mm-hmm. um, we see so many boy band pictures of him and, and that sort of thing. I, You know, he was a carpenter, and I picture him as the kind of guy who could pick up two sheets of three-quarter inch, you know, CDX uh-huh. plywood and go with it. Um, I think he was a pretty tough guy. And he was very, very hard to kill. Um, people tried to uh, stab him, didn't work. Tried to stone him, didn't work. Tried to throw him off a cliff, didn't work. Uh, he can go 40 days without a meal, climb into the ring with the toughest opponent in the solar system. He walks yeah. out a winner. I don't think there's any point in trying to drown him. Right. Walk away from that. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that can kill Jesus is a tree. That's it. There's no other way because he is here for a purpose. And that purpose is to die on a tree. And as he tells his disciples, unless I am raised up on a tree, nothing's going to work here. Um, The reason he has to die on a tree is because he who dies on a tree is cursed by God. That's what we see in in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, He who dies on a tree is cursed, and Jesus has to be cursed. He has to become sin and take the punishment that you and I deserve. Mm -hmm. And and God, from the beginning of this book, worked it out that that was going to happen on a tree. Not because a tree is useless or low, but because it's the very highest thing, really, in God's kingdom in some ways. I'll underline this with a talk that Jesus gave, he asked his listeners to imagine the heyday of Israel. Now, when Jesus is there, it's not the heyday anymore. Israel is an occupied country by Rome. Rome is in charge of the world. But there was a time when Israel was in charge of the world. And it was a very short time. Uh, It's really the time when David and Solomon were on the throne. Uh And so Jesus asked his listeners, and he's asking us, to imagine the heyday of Jerusalem. Solomon is on the throne. He is Plato's philosopher king. Mm -hmm. His dad is the best songwriter of all history, Uh not to mention the best soldier in all of history. He's, you know, this is the philosopher king. And imagine a state visit. Imagine the Queen of Sheba coming 
and the pomp and the circumstance. You know, those thousands of chariots would have lined the road to uh, greet her. Those hundreds of gold shields would have been taken off the wall. And you just weren't a grunt in the beginning, you know, of the military or whatever. You were right. you were way up there with lots of stripes on your arms by the time you got to carry one of those gold shields. And the trumpets and everything. Imagine the the people getting ready for this because uh, Solomon is living with 300 wives and 700 concubines. And, and his chief wife has a palace shoved up against his palace, the, the princess from, from Egypt. And imagine all of them getting ready for this. You know, nobody wants to miss out on this, this yeah. state visit, the Queen of Sheba. I, I can just fathom uh, the blow dryers that morning you know, in Jerusalem, <laughs> right. the lights dimming down. And then Solomon getting dressed, and he just didn't get dressed on his own. You know, all those people in the court who were helping him, and the gym steward coming and making sure his crown is on perfectly. And Jesus said, imagine all of this in its splendor. And then he throws down a flower, and he says, we just beat you. <laughs> Uh-huh, right. He's giving a lesson on aesthetics. That lesson on aesthetics first shows up in, in Genesis 2.9, that God made trees that are pleasant to the sight. That is a one-off line in Scripture that's God weighing in on aesthetics. Yeah. And for God, that's a tree. That's what his throne faces. Most of our thrones face what? Television. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, my phone. <laughs> yeah, God, God's face is a tree. A tree. Why do you think he picked a tree uh, over an animal or us or flowers uh, even? Well, uh, Jesus threw out a flower. Uh-huh. In the plant kingdom, a flower represents the very lowest thing in the plant kingdom because it's here today and gone tomorrow. A tree represents the very highest thing. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus throws that flower out, he's because, you know, Trees have flowers, but flowers never have trees. Right. He could have even upped the ante and thrown right. a tree. But um, I don't know why a flower is beautiful. I don't know why a tree is beautiful. It is because God thinks it is. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting. Even uh, and I, I think this got left on the cutting room floor out of the book. <laughs> but I really wanted to go a little bit more into aesthetics and and I think about the progression of art. And um, I'll take one museum, and I have an Omnipass to museums, uh-huh. and I probably have, I think I have about 3,500 pictures on my phone from inside museums. I love wow, art. Yeah. But if you take the gardener in uh, Boston, and, and this is similar with many, um, you, you start on the ground floor in the oldest art, and you move your way up, and all the way along, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. The aesthetic has to do pretty much with God and nature. And then we get to modern art, and it's all gone. Yeah. It's funny, they have guards on that floor. What's the point? There's nobody even there looking at it, mm. unless you're some hoity-toity academic. Uh-huh. It's garbage. Nobody's going to put it up on their wall. <laughs> um, and so I think even our aesthetics, you know, our art has to somehow be anchored to what God said was beautiful. Yeah, the most beautiful art we enjoy mirrors creation. Exactly. Huh. It's interesting to me that as we get away from God and we even get away from that aesthetic, to me, the art even becomes uh, ugly, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation with Dr. Sleep to tell you about our friends over at Samaritan Ministries. Right now, most people are looking at health insurance options because their plans are changing again. It can be a really stressful process. So I'm excited that this year I can just enjoy the fall and I don't have to worry about my insurance changing. Instead of insurance, I do healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan members help each other pay for medical expenses by sending their monthly amounts directly to one another for their bills. I'm a member and it's seriously such a cool process to be a part of. I'm not just paying for a product to meet my needs. I'm able to have my needs met, paying for my medical bills while also being a part of a solution for others in the same boat. Here's how it plays out. Each month, I get a notification from Samaritan Ministries letting me know who to send my money to and how I can be praying for that person. I can even send a note with my money just to reach out and let them know they're not alone and that I'm praying for them. Then if I ever have medical bills, there are over 80,000 Christian households ready and waiting to do the same for me. 
Membership costs range from $100 to $530 a month, depending on your age, your household size, and the membership options you choose. So you can learn more and sign up at SamaritanMinistries.org slash That Sounds Fun. And now back to our show. Um, I distracted it. I took us on a rabbit trail. Tell me why you're happy that this is Barnwood. So you're okay that people tear down tear down trees and use them for good. Absolutely. You know, it's it, it wood in some ways is fragile, and yet if this is taken care of, this this can last hundreds uh-huh. of years. There's uh, you know wooden furniture that's a thousand uh, uh-huh. or more years old, and and so um, you know wood is is so versatile uh, that we even have nuclear submarines in our fleet whose main bearings are made out of wood. <gasps> Do we really? Absolutely. I did not know that. There's in the fleet, and uh, it's uh, Ligum VT, uh-huh. uh, mostly from uh, Jamaica. It's super hard, and it self-lubricates. Um, it used to be what they made uh, block and tackle on ships out of. Sure. So it's still being used yeah. in ships today. That's right. And so we have, uh, if you think about it, humanity could never even get across a river without a tree. Mm. Um, it was vital to us um, being fruitful, multiplying, and and filling the globe. Uh, we got there with trees. Even when we took to the air, the the first planes are made out of wood. Yes. We wouldn't be here as a civilization without trees, and God knew that. We couldn't, I mean, we couldn't bend or melt or create steel in the form that we use it if there wasn't wood to cause a fire to. Correct. It Correct. all goes back to trees. It all goes back to trees. And I think when you really understand that your salvation, you owe to a tree as well. Mm. Right. <laughs> I mean, because there's just big an deal. inextricable connection between Jesus and trees Absolutely. from working with them to dying on one to sitting under them and everything in between. Yeah. You know, I've gotten to uh, travel to about 50 seminaries and there's wonderful seminaries, but sometimes you hear some stuff going around that, uh-huh. you know, uh, and one of the things you hear going around is that Jesus has this vernacular hayseed language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's reinforced a little bit by uh, some of the writings of uh, Augustine, but in fact, Jesus' language is exquisitely precise and very, very organic. By that, I mean carbon-based. Give you an example. Yes, please. Not, not related to trees. There are 25 gems mentioned in the Bible. Jesus only mentions one of them, the pearl. The pearl, right. What's unique about the pearl? It's the only organic gem. It's really? made of both... Uh, inorganic nidus, and then this organic concretions that the oyster makes around it. I think one of the reasons that th- these oddball things show up in Scripture, like like only Jesus mentioning uh-huh. only a pearl. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, what what holds the gates of heaven open? Right, pearly gates. <clears throat> oh, Doctor Sleep, you're this is, is so good. <laughs> is because is because Jesus is a unique thing in all of creation. He is both fully human and fully God. Now, how do you illustrate that? And so the Bible, can always surrounding Jesus, comes up with these oddball things, the pearl, the bush that's burning but is still green uh-huh. and bright. And so I'm, I got a Bible here, and I'm going to flip to the uh, uh, last page in uh, Revelation. And uh, uh, there's this description of, of heaven and the tree. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Well, how are you both the Alpha and the Omega? It's, again, a paradox. Uh-huh. You could be A through Z, but he's Alpha and the Omega. Uh, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Um, and then he goes on to say, in case you've missed that, I am the root and the descendant of David. I'm the bright morning star. And so he's both uh, this plant and this bright star. He's the burning bush. Um, he's the burning bush. Yeah, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground here. And so the Bible's constantly coming up with these beautiful amalgams, if yes. you were, to try to give us something to get a handle on 
Christ um, because he's, he's two things that don't exist anywhere else yes. together. Yes. Um, one of the things I wanted to accomplished with this book is to bring the Bible alive a little bit more. You know, you can get so used to looking at it in the same way. And trees, most people never had a sermon on trees. Uh Uh-huh, right. Which is a bunny trail. Can I go down this one? Yes, 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 please. It's one of the things I looked at which was disturbing to me was the redaction of trees from our world in Uh a way. Have you ever had a sermon on trees? No. Yeah, I've, I've I, never given one either. <laughs> yeah, polled all kinds of people. Um, the answer is nobody has. This is my first one right now. <laughs> so I went back and I looked, and I list the dozen or so sermons uh, on trees and scripture that Charles Spurgeon gave, oh, um, wow. and gave gave some other examples. Um, uh, then I looked at uh, some words associated with. Uh, trees in the Bible, and I counted them up. I took uh, six words, tree, seed, leaf, branch, root, and fruit, and I counted them up in the King James. They occur 967 times. Oh, wow. Then I started counting this Bible that I'm carrying as an ESV. They've been subtracted 230 times. Um, In the NIV, 267. (gasps) New Living Translation, 274. I'll give you an example of one. Mark 11.8 is the description of the crowd going and cutting leaves, uh, branches off the trees to lay in front of Jesus. Yeah, Palm Sunday. In in modern Bible translations like this ESV, they say that people go and cut the branches off the fields. Field, the word is dendron, tree. In Greek, there's no other way to translate it. Uh It's sheer orneriness that the translators uh-huh. have subtracted trees from Scripture. In an, in an old Bible, King James, or the Great uh, Bible, or Geneva Bible, Abraham goes and plants uh, a grove of trees. Abraham, by the way, is the first person to plant trees oh, okay. in Scripture. Okay. Very important. Uh, Adam and Eve were the first person to destroy a tree, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tore that fig leaf off a tree. They didn't tear oh, it off because right. they needed to eat it. They didn't tear it off because they needed shelter. They tore it off for vanity. Yeah. They were told to dress shame, yeah. dress and keep the garden. Yeah. They tear a leaf off one and go and hide behind him. Wow. Abraham is going to start reversing that trend. He's going to meet the angels in front of the tree, uh-huh. of the oaks of Mamre. He's going to offer them hospitality. It's the exact opposite of running and uh, hiding. Oh, I've never thought about that. He meets <clears throat> them right in front of the trees. Absolutely. And, and Adam and Eve went and hid, and hid. away from a tree. Yeah. Wow, 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 um, wow. And so there's these incredible patterns yes. that are just woven throughout Scripture. Um, and I can't even get into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the tree guy in, is it? in the Bible. It was disturbing to me that the uh, trees have been subtracted from Scripture. They've been um, subtracted from our sermons. They've been subtracted from the commentaries of Bibles. And I have a 140-year-old Thomas Nelson King James Study Bible. 140 years old. Oh, my gracious. It has 20 pages on trees in it, and the modern one has zero pages on it and has only three listings in the index. We have many modern Bibles that don't even list a tree. Well, unless you start with the trees in the beginning of the Bible and we fall, you don't need a Savior. Uh Uh-huh. So I object to the monkeying with Scripture. Yeah. 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 But uh, God always corrects these things. Yeah. Would you tell people to go read the King James then all the time? When I get asked a question like that, yes. I say, I do not know a Bible translation that is not sufficient for salvation. That's right. That's good. So that's, that's the first and the number one. But if you're going to start doing things like science, yeah, you probably ought to use the King James. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think we... This also kind of speaks to what I think culture would have a problem with our faith sometimes is that they think we separate science and faith. And I think what your work does is tell us how integral science is to our faith. Yeah, if you, uh, I, I do something I call reverse engineering scripture. I'll give you an example of that. I think it's Psalm 136. 
uh, says, you know, you've established the firmament on top of the waters. And I remember having a geologist um, uh, ask, you know, how is that reality or whatever? Mm -hmm. There is no Hebrew word uh, for liquid rock. The word they would use is water. What do the plates of the earth float on top of? Oh, sure. Water. Yeah. Yeah, and even in, in Genesis uh, 5, 1, it says um, where God made Adam and Eve, male and female, he made them in his image, and he named them male. Now, that's a geneticist talking. Mm. Because if I take a cell from you, even 100 years from now, to genetically um, manipulate it, all I can get is a female. Mm. I can take a cell from me because I have both an X and a Y chromosome. Oh, right. So if you take the Bible and you just do a little reverse engineering, yeah. always start with the concept the Bible's right, Yeah. and then just reverse engineer. Yeah. You can, instead of coming up with some ridiculous explanation, you can often just come up with something that resonates with the science that we have. One of the things we talk about a lot here on the show that uh, is that a lot of times when you're reading the Bible, if you will just follow the questions that come to your mind as you're reading, if you will just kind of let the let that be the Holy Spirit being the role of teacher of going, why is this tree at the start of Psalms? Or why is Jesus a carpenter? And there's, but I mean, I think that seems like what you've done is you've just allowed Holy Spirit to direct your thinking the whole way through with this. If I was telling somebody, you know, to about reading the Bible, I would just say, just always take it that it's real. If you don't know exactly, you write it on a sticky, put it uh -huh. in there, uh -huh. ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to the uh, truth in that. May not happen right away. I've got questions I've been asked, asking for 10 years, yeah. haven't gotten the answer yet. But it's been my experience that God will reward you for those kind of questions. Yeah. Uh, is there a, one that you'd be willing to share a question you have about Scripture that you're still figuring out? Yeah. Um, if salt loses its flavor, the Greek there is halon. It's salt. How does salt ever lose its flavor? Yeah. I've heard some explanations and everything. I think there's just another layer to the story I haven't gotten yet. Uh-huh. But, you know, you can't make So you just your... roll over that in your mind. How do you make salt unsalty? Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm... But almost always when I bump into those things, I get an answer. <laughs> that, really? That's just one really? I haven't gotten yet. Yeah. yeah. Normally, you. I mean, I think that's, to me, what you've done with reforesting faith and what you do when you talk about this is my favorite thing about Bible study, of going like, wait, there's a pattern here? Oh, this is brilliant. What does the pattern do? I, I think we underestimate the fun of that side of studying the Bible. Oh, it's it's a thrill. Uh -huh. If if I just had to do standard Bible studies, I'd <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't make but if you could tell me we can talk about trees yeah. and talk about the the life source of that, what that's been for us, I think that is so interesting. So if someone's listening and they're not into faith or they're newer to faith, how do trees make someone want to walk towards God? Uh, I should have asked his permission to use his name. <laughs> uh, when I was doing this book, I needed a tree expert to bounce things off. And I, we have one in, uh, in Lexington who's a double PhD, Fulbright scholar. Uh, oh, wow. And I would ask these questions and he was not a believer. I am happy to say that he is a foaming at the mouth Christian today. Really? Um, so if somebody's not a believer, I would just say, you know, just God doesn't mind you questioning him. Yeah. There's a difference between being a skeptic and a cynic. I think God doesn't mind skeptics at all. Um, a, a skeptic is somebody who says, okay, well, kind of show me or whatever. The cynic is somebody who doesn't change no matter what. Mm. They're going. They're married to their their ideas. So somebody and and I was an atheist. I I, I didn't believe in God it, unless you could reproduce it and measure it. I wanted nothing uh, to do with it. It's interesting that the way I became a Christian was to wake up to the fact that there was evil. Uh, a number of things happened to our family um, and, and some really bad things and. And I worked as an emergency room doctor, and I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. Mm. Evil is a spiritual concept. Uh, you can't measure it. Hopefully you don't want to reproduce it. 
And so I got to thinking, well, if there's evil on this planet, why is there good? And even though I didn't believe in God, I'd seen good. To me, one of the examples of humanity's goodness is a trauma code of a Jane or a John Doe. When you just drop on the street, you know, let's say you're jogging down the road, uh-huh. you don't have your, your ID with you. Uh-huh. If you just go to ground, as uh-huh. they say, an ambulance scoops you up and brings you to the emergency department here, you're always registered as John or Jane Doe. And, and I've seen 20 people around working, throwing everything they have at trying to save this life. Where does that come from? That's an anonymous person to them. That's an anonymous yeah. person. And we don't have the necessarily kindest society on the planet. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? That's, that sent me on a search where eventually I picked up a Bible and read it for the first time. And by the way, we don't talk about it a whole lot. What is God doing in the lives of people who don't believe? And if somebody's listening to this show and they don't believe in God, that doesn't mean that God doesn't believe in you, mm. that God is not working with you. When I was an ER doc trying to save somebody's life, do you think God was not rooting for me? Yeah. <laughs> and so, anyways. That's so good. So were you, I mean, you were married with kids and became a believer that later. Yeah, I think I was about 47. It was a, uh, it was a big hurdle uh, because I'd been an atheist. We lived in a area of the country without many churches, the coast of Maine. Uh, and my wife was raised as a Jew. Okay. <laughs> so we is had, she a believer now? She absolutely is. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and your kids both going to Asbury would indicate that they walk with the Lord. At some yeah, point. Short, shortly after. Um, so I, I became a believer first. I gave the Bible that I stole um, uh-huh. to my son, and uh, he read it. And then we found out about mere Christianity. He believes, actually, we should consider opening the canon between like uh, Romans and Acts or something and putting mere Christianity in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and very, very shortly, he was in high school. He had this vision of uh, being a... Uh, a doctor in a a land where uh, it wasn't the United States. Uh, So I'm happy to say that he is a doc at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya, um, pediatrician there. And my uh, daughter's married to a uh, pastor. So Wow. We we jumped into the deep end, all of us. Yeah. So how long have you been a believer? I have been a believer now, I think about 14 years. How many times have you read the Bible all the way through? Probably around 10 or 12 times, something like that. And the first time, I mean, this is making me teary talking to you. I mean, before you became a believer, you read it front to back to figure it out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, Okay, so I'm... I'm reading other books. I read uh, the Ramayana, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, and everything. Oh my gosh, you and read then, all of those trying yeah, to figure it trying out. Trying to figure out, you know, where's the good on the planet come from? Um, and uh, then on a Sunday morning, I was in the ER. We didn't have any patients in yet, or I tucked them into bed, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't have anything to read. And so I went out into the waiting room, and there on a coffee table with a bunch of National Geographics and People magazines was this orange book, said Holy Bible on it. And I said, we don't have one of these at home, and I doubt I'm going to be able to finish this before the first finish comes in. <laughs> you know, so I stole it, and um, and then where do you start reading? You know, it's a big book. Right, it's so big. Okay, so my name is Matthew, and there just happens to be a book in here called Matthew. That's called Prevenient Grace because if my parents had named me Numbers, we wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> open to Matthew. I opened to Matthew oh, and, and read the New Testament. I, for whatever reason, when I hit Matthew 7, the magic uh, started there. Matthew 7 is where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. He said, we are always trying to get uh, uh, the moat out of someone else's because the Bible I picked up was a Gideon's King James uh-huh. Bible. He said, we're always trying to get the moat, which is a speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. Meanwhile, we got a two by four in our own. Again, with the trees. I'd been a carpenter. I recognized a carpenter telling a carpentry joke. And then, and he says, full hypocrite, you know, get, get the two by four out of your own eye. You know, what's really interesting about that little section of the Bible. It's the only section of the Bible that's been rewritten by a non-Christian that's better known than out of Scripture. The good news is the person gave credit to it. Uh Mahatma Gandhi, in his autobiography, says, I got it from Matthew 7, be the change you want to see in the world. Right. And so then as you read through, 
how did you know what to pray? Did you go to a church and ask somebody or how did you know that you wanted to make this your, that you believed that Jesus was the right way? Well, I think perhaps because I'd read those other uh-huh. uh, texts, which other people, you know, consider to be uh, sacred, that Jesus just stood out as unique. No one thinks Jesus is a fool. And he doesn't claim to be just a good teacher. He gives you, you know, the no, he's the liar, the lunatic, or the Lord. Those, yeah. those are the choices that you're <laughs> yeah. faced with. And for me, it, it just resonated. Um, now, there was something else going on, and I wrote about it in this book. Uh-huh. Right before I started med school, um, I worked on a townhouse in the D.C. suburbs, and it belonged to a psychiatrist, and he had this incredible stereo system. Never seen anything like that. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I was kind of drooling all over the thing, and he, he says, you want me to fire it up? So I said, yeah. And, and you're working as a carpenter at this point? I'm a carpenter. Okay. And he fires it up, and he puts on it Handel's Messiah, done by the Academy of Ancient Music, uh, Christopher Hogwood. It, this many, many music critics think this is one of the finest performances that have ever been done, and they did did it all with original instruments like Stradivarius uh-huh. and everything. And I love that piece of music. I can't study without music playing in the background. For 30 years... I probably listened to Handel's Messiah a thousand times. So, you know, when I actually read about the person who wrote all those lines, you know, Jesus. uh, And and so it wasn't that I was fast in getting it. I'm sure in heaven there was like, we've been playing this thing to you for 30 years. What does it take for this moron, you know? (laughs) So it's almost like you were just hearing the refrain that you had heard all along. Yeah. But it was written in text instead of in a song. Yeah. My gracious. And one of my uh, goals, I picture all my writing assignments as a bunch of planes, you know, at O'Hare or Hartsfield. Uh, sure. And they're just, you know, on the on the runway ready, ready to take off. But I really want to expand Handel's Messiah because so many people go to it. And like me, they hear the beauty, but they don't know the story. Why does it begin with comfort ye, comfort ye, my people? Anyway, so that's that's a real bunny trail. No, <laughs> One of these days, so I've really got to write about the uh, Messiah. Will you go back, for those of us who are just being introduced to your writing, the handful, my guess is I'm going to start getting tweets and stuff and being like, yeah, we've been reading him forever, Annie. Tell me your other books that people can... The first book that I wrote was Serve God, Save the Planet. That came from when I told the hospital board, I was chief of staff, head of the emergency department, I was going to quit. And the first thing is like, oh, Brand X Hospital got him. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just quitting medicine. And, you know, jaws kind of dropped because I did this at the boardroom of the hospital board. And they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to serve God and try to save the planet. <laughs> <laughs> just some easy stuff. Yeah, some hubris there. Um, and so that's the first uh, book. And uh, the Next book uh, that that's really done, and I did the Green Bible in there, um, but it's called Twenty Four Six, and it's about the Sabbath. I have that book. Well, there you go. I tell people to read that book all the time. <laughs> I love that book. I preached on Sabbath two months ago and held it up on stage. That is your book. That's my book, <laughs> Doctor Slade. <laughs> that is one okay. of the okay. premier books on Sabbath. Uh, so they don't put a big picture of my face because, you know, I've got a face built for radio. Oh, I've my gosh. To- you do not. <laughs> so that's why. Oh, that's hilarious. 24-6 is, I mean, I literally gave people like four books to read, and I was like, you've got to read 24-6 by Dr. Matthew Sleep. I remember saying it now that you are sitting here with me. <laughs> okay. Can I, <sighs> pull me back off of this. This is pure bunny trail. But yeah, I, I, I just want to give uh, some folks some of the kind of the beauty that's in the Bible. Now, you can't prove all this stuff. It doesn't have to be true. Um, but somebody asked me, well, where does Sabbath and trees come together? Oh, go here. Okay, so I am going to... Because we gonna... love talking about Sabbath here. Okay. Well, you should have me back to talk yeah. about Sabbath. Oh, I that's, think, uh... unfortunately for you, I think I'm, we're going to have you back a lot. <laughs> that, that's kind of my... Okay. So let me start in the book of Acts. I think it's it's chapter 8, and there's the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading from the book of Isaiah, uh-huh. 
and um, he doesn't understand what's going on. And Philip is there, and Philip's running along beside the the chariot of this Ethiopian, uh, you know, high vizier uh, official. He gets up in and he begins to explain this. And then uh, the Ethiopian eunuch says, you know, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And they get down, and it's probably filthy water, but he baptizes, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and then Philip is gone. Uh-huh. Not quite a scene quite like that. Right. You know, he, he got beamed up by the, you yeah, know. He just ends up somewhere else. You know, yeah, Starship Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, what would that Ethiopian eunuch have done? He would have gotten back in the chariot, and with new eyes and this new understanding, he would have continued reading the Scripture. And on the very next page, or turn of the scroll, Uh he would have come up. This is out of Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, never to be cut off. And so... Which is impossible for a eunuch. It's impossible. Right. And and here he got back up, and I'm sure he just gets this reassurance from the Lord that you have an inheritance you can't even imagine. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And so I, you know, I urge people when you're doing the Bible, use those cross references. You know, go back and forth, see what's before and after and 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 make the tapestry richer. Yeah. You wrote 24-6. I did. <laughs> and trees and Sabbath run right into each other on the page right after where the eunuch would have read about. Yep. Right when Philip baptized him. My gracious. Well, we've really done this. Will you please come back sometime? Absolutely. I would love to have you back. We will do another round uh, about Sabbath coming up soon because it just feels like the discipline. I jokingly say when I teach about it, I say, y'all take real seriously not murdering people, but you don't take Sabbath near as serious, and it's in the same list. And it's a, it's a greater blessing than people can fathom. My wife was actually off teaching uh, a group of women today, and she entitled it Shalom in the Home. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And it's what it's about. You yeah. know, It's about bringing peace, more than peace, shalom to our lives. Yes. Well, um, thank you for doing this today. My pleasure. For driving down. I feel so honored that you would take time for us. You are such a gift, and so I'm really grateful. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? That's so funny. You love Sabbath. We- <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I love it so much. It, you know, that book has taken on a life of it. It's like in its 14th printing or yes. whatever. You know, it just goes and goes. Yes. I mean, so. it goes so far that I didn't even connect that it was yours because it's just 24-6 is the book on my shelf that that when I think about Sabbath, I to be honest, I never thought about the author. I just tell everybody to read it. it you know, so many books that I tell people to read it's because I of my personal relationship with the author or because, oh, well, I love this from so-and-so. Now you should read this. I'm always just like, no, this is the book you read about. This and Garden City by John Mark Comer are the two that I tell people to read all the time. So. Uh, I got to get Garden City then. <laughs> oh, you should. I haven't but, read it. Oh, I think you'd really like it because okay. the whole concept is why did the Bible start in a garden, but when everything is right, it ends in a city. And and so he talks about why we how we were always meant. And that's the Ghent altarpiece. It combines mm-hmm. both. Oh, you're going to, yeah, you're going to love Garden City. Okay. Okay, So the last question we always ask on the show, because it's called That Sounds Fun, tell me, Dr. Sleeth, what you do for fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I really love my wife. Yeah. It generally involves her. Yeah. Um, Even just to sit and play a game of rummy with her, it's just, just the time with her. We walk uh, together every day. Um. I, I don't know, just, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, after 40 years, she still likes to hold my hand and, yeah. you know, just laying on my shoulder, uh, which I didn't realize the symbolism of until I read uh, The Mysteries of Marriage. Are you familiar with that no. book? It's a must read, okay. um, Mason, because that's where she came from, out of my side. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a beautifully written book. Um, how did y'all meet your new wife? I was a carpenter. I was putting a bay window in her parents' house. They had four kids. I tell people when their 18-year-old daughter walked into the room, their worst nightmare began to unfold. Yeah. 
You're just a, I mean, the interesting thing about what I've learned about your life today is, is it is the Lord was working all the time. That is something I've only really come to appreciate in the last few years. He was always there working. Yeah, that is just, Mm -hmm. that is incredible. Okay, well, we will look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, isn't Dr. Sleep the coolest? I can't believe he wrote my other favorite Sabbath book, 24-6. You've got to make sure you grab a copy of that and grab a copy of Reforesting Faith. I think you're going to find both of these super interesting, and I cannot wait to have him back on the show. I'm already dreaming it up and so excited. Hey, if you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in Reforesting Faith. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Wherever you may need me, that is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we will see you back here on Thursday with, y'all, it's just a good week, back here on Thursday with Jackie Velasquez. We'll see you then.